Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Turn to our text for today. This is the lectionary text. In other words, the passage that I did not choose, but that was chosen for us. It's Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is the story of Abraham's almost sacrifice of his son, Isaac. You remember that God promised Abraham that he would have many descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And yet he and Sarah, his wife, were barren. Eventually, they did conceive, gave birth to Isaac, and so they rejoiced that God's promises would now certainly be fulfilled. But then there is this story, and God asks Abraham to do the unthinkable, and absolutely everything is on the line. So before we read the story, let's pray. Oh God, we come together, we come to the scripture, seeking to hear from you, hear words of encouragement, perspective, hope. Lord, you know what it is that each one of us needs. And so we pray that in your loving kindness, you would provide for us, give us ears to hear, Give us hearts that are open to learn and to grow and to meet you as you meet us through these ancient texts. Make it so, for we pray it together in Jesus' name. All right, put your seatbelts on. Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac 
laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, this is an extremely difficult story. I can hardly imagine what it would be like to be Abraham, much less Isaac. The whole narrative, right? Is it just me? It's horrifying. Well, it helps a little to remember that the Bible didn't fall out of the sky, but to remember that it was written by a people who lived in particular times and places in history, speaking out of their own context, their own worldview, their own understandings of the divine. And in this story in particular, it reminds us that our beliefs about God evolve and they change over time. Because to our ears, right, the story is unacceptable. It's outrageous. We can hardly stomach hearing about a God who asks for a child sacrifice even if it is an ancient text, because, right, if Abraham were alive today and he told us all this, how God tested him, how he bound up his son and placed him on an altar and almost sacrificed him, but, you know, he didn't because the angel uh, intervened. We wouldn't really be that consoled that it didn't actually happen. We'd be horrified and we'd have no choice, right, but to call Child Protective Services and do everything we can as quickly as we could to rescue Isaac from his very troubled father. So what I want to do this morning is instead of trying to digest the story as it jumps off to us off the written page, I want to consider what this story meant to those ancient audiences, to people of long ago. What did this story mean to them? Well, of course, we can't fully know the answer to this question, but we can say with confidence that this was a really important story. We know this because the ancient Jewish commentaries on the scripture called the Midrash, they talked a lot about Abraham and Isaac. And then in medieval times, Christians compared Jesus and Isaac, there's some crazy art out there, um, so much so that the way they talked about the story of Isaac, it was almost as if Isaac also was sacrificed and then raised back to life. 
And then in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the apostle Paul talks about this story. And we know that for generations, Abraham has been known as a giant in the faith, remembered for his obedient faith. This is an important story to people of long ago and still is today. Abraham, he would have lived some 2,000 years before Jesus was born in ancient, uh, in the ancient Mediterranean region. So think modern day Iraq, somewhere around there. He and Sarah were nomads, transient people. They would have been moving from place to place in a time when your social security was found in how many animals and male children you had. So we know that Abraham had a lot of livestock and eventually he had eight male sons, eight male children. And so in his particular context, he was well off. Most people had multiple wives and concubines. Polygamy was normal. And everyone believed in many gods, not just one. It was a very different world than the one we are living here in Southern California. Is anyone here from a family with eight children? No. Seven, six, five, four? No. Four, yes. Uh, anyone own livestock? I know she has chickens. Maybe that counts. Yeah, right? It, it was a world that was so different from our own, but still preachers and teachers have tried to make connections to our lives today by asking the question, oh, if and when we are put to the test, can we have a faith like Abraham? When we are in seasons of disorientation and great confusion, can we also, like Abraham, trust in God? Just as God provided that thicket, that ram in the thicket, isn't it true that we can trust God to also provide for us? It's a story that continues to inspire and to challenge us. But for today, for right now, I want to shift from talking about this particular story to talking about the importance of stories in general, because the stories that we tell, the stories that we listen to, and especially those stories that we tell again and again and again, they shape us and they inform how we think about the world and we think about how we think about our own lives. Well, right now I'm in the middle of the September Camino de San Diego. This is the virtual pilgrimage to the US-Mexico borderlands put on by our friends at the Border Church. Some of you participated in the May Camino. I think we had about six of us from Lightshine. And the purpose of this was, of course, to learn about immigration and migration and to inspire us on our own engagement in the work of justice. Well, last week, we virtually traveled to Chicano Park in Logan Heights, San Diego. This is an eight-acre park. Here are a few pictures of it. Um, that's under the bridge on the way to Coronado Island. It's actually a national landmark, and it's full of these huge, giant, colorful murals. And these murals are the stories of the Chicano people. 
reminding them of who they are. The Chicano people are of Spanish, Mexican, and Native American descent. And as a people, they've been on this land longer than anybody else. And yet, it's a very difficult life for many of them here because as it is, as it is the case for many people who are non-Anglo, they are treated like foreigners, outsiders, like they don't belong. And this park is a gathering place where they meet together and they paint the stories of their history. They paint the stories of their struggle. And these stories remind them of who they are. Because when we remember who we are, and especially when we do this together, we are stronger and we are more resilient. You and I gather around the stories of the scripture because these stories give us perspective on our lives. They help us remember who we are. And so I want to share with you something that I've been kind of mulling over the last few months, really. Something that I feel like it seems God seems to be telling me again and again. I've heard it in different places. It's almost like I'm hearing it in surround sound. And it's something that I think we all need to hear. And that is that one way of talking about our Christian faith our Christian story is to say that God says we are enough. That's our story, that we are enough, just as we are with all of our flaws and imperfections, everything that we wish were maybe a little bit different. We are enough just as we are. We are loved, welcomed, accepted, full and complete, just as we are right now. Jesus revealed God's love to us. And the journey of our lives is one of growing into this deeper knowing, this deeper awareness, this deeper conviction that who God says that we are is the most important thing. And to learn to see ourselves as God sees us. So to see ourselves through God's eyes, through God's heart. And to believe that who God says that we are is more important than anything else. I think we especially need to hear this message because there are loud messages in our culture that are telling us something different. Social media has not helped at all. Maybe you saw the movie, The Social Dilemma, was a movie that interviewed the creators of all of these platforms that we all use. And one of the people that they interviewed was the creator of the like button on Facebook. And he said, you know, our intention was simply to share good vibes and spread joy and positivity in the world. And they unintentionally created something that has a very dark side. Social media has had a huge impact on mental health, increasing our anxieties, 
making us more self-conscious, increasing the degrees to which we compare ourselves to one another. And it's affected all of us, but especially younger generations, those who have never known a world without social media. At a subconscious and sometimes conscious level, we are anxious about how we measure up. Maybe we see a post and we wish we had what they have, or we want a vacation like that, or we wanna look that good like we see somebody else looking, or to be that happy, or to be that healthy, or we wanna have that many likes on something that we post. Now, don't misunderstand me. Of course, there's so much that's good about social media. I love the way it connects me to the people and the causes that I care about. But in this age of increased anxiety about who we are, I think we again and again need to hear God tell us a different story about who we are. We need to hear the story of our faith that proclaims that the most important thing about us is actually nothing about us. It's about God. It's about who God says that we are. Through Jesus Christ, we learn that God says we are loved. We are beautiful. We are strong. We are full and complete, lacking in nothing. We belong, we are enough. I think it takes maybe more than a lifetime to kind of really grow into what this means for our lives. But I do know that as we grow bit by bit in understanding what it means to see ourselves from God's perspective, that it has the power to change us has the power to give us an interior freedom so that we're freed up to just be ourselves and nobody else. It helps us stop the degree to which we compare ourselves to other people, thinking about how we measure up or don't. Seeing ourselves from God's perspective has the power to release us from our anxieties, has the power to help us Find the courage to take risks, to make mistakes, maybe even to fail, maybe to honestly say what we really want to say. Has all sorts of implications, but there is this grounding and this confidence that the spiritual giants of all the ages say that comes from knowing who you are and living in to the love of Jesus Christ and God's proclamation that we are enough, just as we are. Um, I'll share with you that when I first started teaching yoga, I was really anxious and nervous, and I really compared myself to other teachers, and I felt so lacking because so many of the teachers that I knew had a background that seemed to help them out, like a background in dance or uh, massage, something like that. I didn't know anything. I mean, honestly, I hardly knew where my triceps were. <laughs> I was very humbling to be a beginner again at something. 
And I remember wrestling with all this and eventually hearing that God was saying to me, you just got to go for it. Just go for it. Stumble your way through it. It's okay. Make mistakes. Make your own way because there is no one like you and no one who will teach just like you. You are enough. And where you are lacking, I will fill in the gaps and make it enough. Don't worry about it. And so I did. And it's true. There's no one like me. Just as there is no one like you. There's no one who does whatever you do just the way you do it. I think it's worth saying out loud. Will you humor me here? Wherever you are, say it out loud. I am enough. I am enough. I am enough. Because it's true. This is our story. This is our good news. The story that God gives to us to share with the world. Because I think every human, part of being human is to struggle with knowing who you are. This is what the stories of the scripture do for us. Why we return to our sacred texts again and again and again. They remind us of who we are. That we are God's beloved. Well, Abraham and Isaac, the story, it reminds us of who we are. We, like Abraham, are always on a journey with God. And sometimes that journey is confusing and disorienting. But always, we are promised, God walks with us. Abraham, in this story, listened to the voice of God. Remember, it kept saying again and again, here I am, here I am. Abraham kept saying it. And God's voice helped him find his way. And in the same way, we are promised that the Holy Spirit will help us find our way. Well, there's a contemporary worship song by Lauren Daigle that I wanna play now for you, at least a part of it. And it's called, You Say, meaning what God says. And I want to invite us to hear the words and just to listen to what jumps out of it, because she kind of has this refrain about what God says, as opposed to what she says. So let's listen now, and then we'll come back together. 